Thank you for joining us today. My name is Brad Miller, and this is the Chronically Human Podcast, where we have discussions aimed at creating a better world with more individual freedom and less unnecessary suffering. Today's guest is Professor Deidre McCloskey. She taught economics from 2000 to 2015 in history, English, and communications at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She's a well-known economist, historian, rhetorician, who's written 17 books and over 400 scholarly articles. We have a great discussion about her trilogy of books based on her fascinating concept of bourgeois virtues. These are the virtues that allow individuals to develop and to thrive within a free market society. She also explains why persuasion and rhetoric are vital to understanding economics. And I was very happy to talk to her about her concept of the two secret sins of economics. These sins, which almost all mainstream economists make, are used to create the regulatory framework of the financial and healthcare systems, which affects us all. I exercise my health freedom by taking Kratom. And the only Kratom that I trust comes from naturalorganics.com. That's natural organics spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-X dot com. And you can use the promo code chronicallyhuman20 at checkout to get 20% off. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. One. Thank you, for Professor McCloskey, for being on the show. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Well, great. I appreciate that. Uh, I found your work to be very fascinating, especially your concept of uh, bourgeois virtues and your trilogy of books. I've not read yet, but um, I've definitely read the essays behind the work, and I'm going to dig into them as soon as I can about sure. the co- about the concept that um, that there are virtues of the free market capitalist system, and that that's not really discussed. And the difference between the aristocracy and the peasants. Uh, virtues. It, it's sure. a different. It's a different idea. And yeah, so I it def- is. I definitely want to go ahead. Well, it's an old one, actually. That, mm-hmm. that, um, and it's rather forgotten in the modern world because we're so far from the age of the aristocracy and the peasants that we forget that the, these. Um, these middle class folk have their own uh, um, version of virtues. Um, courage, for example, is uh, seen in the in the virtue of uh, enterprise. So, so, so there. It's it's not that there was a. Um, change in the virtues of the middle class in the, say, in the 18th century. But there was certainly a change in the attitude of the rest of the society um, towards those virtues, such as enterprise. Definitely. And I think your concept of commercial courage, I think that falls into what you're talking about, is, it, is so missed today, and especially about one of the virtues that I, I was looking through the list, that you, you broke it down in and the difference between the aristocracy, the middle class, the bourgeois, sure. and the, the peasantry. And one of those is optimism. And I think that's something that's forgotten, that that's a vital aspect of the free market system, that it's optimism that drives um, con- commercial endeavors, that we can make the world a better place. That's certainly true in an interesting um, 
an interesting observation. The, the, on the left and the right, there are two forms of uh, pessimism um, that are crippling in modern politics. Um, on the left, the, the idea that ordinary exchange is exploitative, that uh, if you're a hired worker, you're necessarily being exploited by your employer. And uh, on the right, the great pessimism about the decline of Christianity and the falling away from virtue. And I think I, I, I think the evidence is that both of those are wrong, that in, that in fact a um, functioning system of market enterprise is, as you say, based on hope, on the, on the virtue of hope, uh, that is, on optimism. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, that um, it's a great point about the left and the right that there is yeah. pessimism on both sides and that drives oh, yeah. a lot of our debate and that and I think that that comes down to the concept that there's a limited pie out there what's That's your right. take of, what's your take on that that the pie can be in my opinion the pie can be expanded infinitely because we can always do more with less um, well yes it it certainly can be expanded and that kind of optimism um, is I think going to be the fact of the next um, the next uh, um, century in the world. Uh, I think there's no question, if we don't screw it up, that in the next century, the whole population of the world will come to have high income. I mean, it's happening now in China and India, though they're still both very poor countries. They're um, improving at a tremendous uh, rate. So there's there's deep cause for optimism. I mean, in the last couple of centuries, since 1800, income per head in the world has increased, I mean, this is in real terms, allowing for inflation, by at least a factor of 10 and higher in countries like Japan and and Japan and Inland that uh, were extremely poor once and now are are very very rich, um, and, and that's all because we've accepted the bourgeois virtues as a model for a society, and we've we've to the extent we have, we've cast aside the values of aristocracy that um, support a kind of conservatism, or the values of the peasantry, which supports socialism. Gotcha, definitely. And I think uh, to your point about the raising of the standard of living is really important that it's hard for people to have a context of what life was like 100 years ago, or even 200 years ago, and the the absolute amazing progress that humans have made in the last 200 years and to really pin down why that's occurred. Yes, it, it's the great central question of economics, as Adam Smith said in 
1776, the, the central question is the nature and causes of the wealth of nations. And Smith thought that there could be a, a moderate increase in income in his in his own um, in his in his own country of uh, the, uh, of Scotland. But in fact, what happened is not a hundred percent increase or a two hundred percent increase, but a three thousand percent increase wow. in the income of the uh, 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 of the poor um, since eighteen hundred. It's it's simply astounding how rich we are by comparison with our ancestors. People speak of the problem as they see it of inequality nowadays, but 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 the real news is not inequality, uh, but this this enormous increase in income per head, which makes the remaining inequality unimportant. I don't care how many diamond bracelets some very rich person has in his her jewelry box, but I I care about the income of the poor, and that's been tr- transformed from 1800 or 1900, or even when I was a a child in the 19, 19 in the 1950s. And I and I think too that you talk about the the income uh, inequality, and I think that's a big part of definitely on the left they do focus on that. And yeah, getting, yep, getting back to the idea that you know it really matters about the amount of wealth that um, that everybody has really to yeah. look at the basic standard of living. And I think a perfect example of that is really North Korea versus South Korea. If you look at how the lights are, you know, when sure. at night, it's all in the South. Sure, sure. There, 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 there those remarkable um, photos from sa- satellites at night where South Korea appears to be an island. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the same was true of East Germany and West. And, and now... Venezuela versus um, Colombia, where where equality has been the chief goal of the government, often a fraudulent equality, uh, as as is certainly the case in Venezuela now. The result has been an equality of of poverty, of extreme. Poverty. Would you rather live in South Korea or North Korea? I think people are voting with their feet. Oh, that's a great point as well. Is that that people do vote for their feet, and that and that's one thing about the immigration debate that I don't think is talked about a lot. Is that why are people leaving where their family is? Why are they leaving where their history and their culture is to go? somewhere where they don't even speak the language. Sure, and that's been true of almost all of our ancestors in the United States who made the astonishingly courageous uh, choice of coming here. And uh, I, I, don't, uh, I don't object to immigration 
all. I think it's a um, hideous thing to attack immigration on the part of the descendants of immigrants. But in any case, there's this um, this voting with one's feet. I I remember when I first went to Hungary. So it was in 1968, the summer of 1968, as we as we crossed from Austria into Hungary, which was of course still under um, communism. Yeah. I was shocked and outraged that the guns in Hungary were pointing inward. Oh, wow! The, the guns at the border were not defending Hungary from invasion, but were were holding the population of, uh, of, uh, of the country in jail. And the same thing holds in Cuba to this day. And it's, it's interesting to observe that in Venezuela, they're adopting the same policy to try to stop people from emigrating. And I think that that harkens back to your uh, your list of bourgeois uh, virtues and the difference between those of the aristocracy. And I think that w- the more that the state gets involved with an economy, the more that the guns are pointed at the citizens. And yeah. and, and that yeah, you are you are limited by your choices yeah. of what you can do and how you can vote with your dollars or even what you can talk about. Yeah, it, it the, it's. A, the 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 modern slow um, socialism, as I as I call it, um, mm-hmm. not fast socialism, not uh, violent expropriation, but slow expropriation by taxation and regulation, is a reinvention of feudalism. Mm-hmm. In essence, the ordinary citizen is made into a uh, um, a surf of the uh, uh, state, and uh, we have a new aristocracy of of uh, politicians and officials who, as you, as you say, um, t- take over more and more of, of our life. And this has to stop. We've got to right. move back to a society of of um, freedom and grace and individual responsibility. That doesn't mean we shouldn't help the poor. Mm-hmm. But, but I think the main reason, the, the main um, instrument of helping the poor is a vital, prosperous economy. And I, I would definitely agree with that. I think there is um, an ethical side to um, the economics of individualism. That yes, when it's based on voluntarism and that profit is not evil. And yeah. from profit, you can take care of people um, within your business and you can take care of your customers better. And then you can help the wider community as you see fit. Yes. And, it, and in any case, aside from uh, the desirable um, charity that people like Andrew um, Carnegie or Bill Gates exercise, you pay your workers a lot 
in a productive economy because they're highly productive compared mm. with their ancestors. So it's right. it's it's not merely that um, that um, that the profit that profit is available for charity, but that it it instructs the economy of the on the places of where investment should take place to take advantage of innovation. And that makes the whole economy, the whole economic machine work much better than it did before by these astonishing uh, uh, factors of improvement that have happened since 1800 or 1900, namely on the order of 10 or 30 or even higher, um, higher magnitudes. It is truly astounding when you do look back. I think Stephen Plinker or Pinker is his name. He's a a professor who talks about Pinker. Thank you. He talks about, you know, human progress and about the amazing um, innovations uh, since the Enlightenment. Yeah, well, he's he's a psychologist, and he's okay. relying on the work of um, economic hist- economic and social historians who have uh, who who are, are are the ones who have found out these amazing facts about how much things have improved. Um, so so he's not the original. Um, um, source of these ideas. In fact, the the idea of progress, of the, the uh, of the ability of the whole economy to improve, is a is is a very new one. Hmm. It was not assumed in the ancient world or in the medieval world that everyone could get be, be better off. The assumption was that the that the Lord could get better off by extracting more from the poor, and that it was necessary to have the poor to get the work done. They had to be poor. Um, and, and that was finally um, that overturned slowly after 1800. And we got more and more confident that real income the ability to buy to, and consume good, goods and service, services would steadily improve. And now in the world overall, including very poor countries now, income per head is going up by um, t- um, 2% a year, which doesn't sound like very much, but it means that in uh, 36 years, income per head will increase by a factor of 2 and in um, uh, in, the, in the in a longer period by a factor of four and then eight, so it it's uh, it and it was not expected before 1800 that this kind of thing could possibly happen, and yet it did. Now, do you think um, that explosion of economic activity had to do with the idea of? private property, is that one of the key elements of that, or do you think it has well, more sure. to do with the virtue side of it? No, it had, it, it, uh, of course you need, you need property, and mm-hmm. it has to be private in order to provide 
the correct instructions from the consumers and the producers about what exactly to do, how to innovate, how to improve things. But the fact is that private root property is extremely common in history. Mm -hmm. Indeed, um, Roman law, for example, in, in ancient times, was perfectly adequate in protecting private property. In, in China, um, private property was in some ways enforced in a way superior to that in, say, um, England in the, in the 16th and 17th century. So what didn't change was the rules of private um, property. Um, property is a necessary condition, to be sure, just as peace is a necessary condition and um, the existence of a, of a labor force and, and um, that the sun shines and so forth. Those are all necessary conditions. Mm -hmm. but, but what was a sufficient condition? What changed in Northwestern Europe in the 17th and especially in the 18th century was this new respect for the virtues of the bourgeoisie, this new acknowledgement that um, progress, innovation was desirable and should be allowed. And most important, an equality of social standing. Now, of course, we still don't have a perfect equality of social standing, mm -hmm. but the, the notion that, that all people are created equal was an extremely powerful idea articulated in the 1700s and spreading slowly to the entire world. And it inspirited ordinary or ordinary people to try out things, as the English hmm. say, to have a go. And that, that inspiriting is the core of the modern explosion of innovation since 1800. Well, that's a, that's it, a great it's, point. It's, it's, the, it's the spring in the watch. Okay. Property rights, uh, mm -hmm. peace, and so forth, uh, um, honest government, education, and so forth, are the gears. You have to have them or the, or the watch doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But the motive force, the spring, was equality of respect. Not equality of outcome, but of respect. And that's that's one of the virtues that you talk about with the the bourgeois that that when people are entering into a commercial transaction that you're dealing yeah. as an equal between producer and consumer, and and that that's something unique in history and that in order to facilitate that transaction that uh, your your great point about economics is really about rhetoric persuasion and really storytelling and sure. that's based upon trust and. Yes, it and is. And how important that is. Well, it, in, 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 a, in, an honest, in an honest conversation, such as you and I are having now, mm -hmm. 
we treat each other equally in an honest transaction in the marketplace. We treat each other equally. Now, an aristocrat of old seizing your income for himself is not an equal transaction, no more than um, taxation nowadays by the IRS is an equal transaction. It's in, in both the old case and the new, it's an extraction, it's coercion, it's violence, and it's not this amiable equal transaction. Now, of course, on the left, and indeed in, in some strange ways on the right too, there is a tendency to view, um, not a, there's a theory indeed, that transactions in the marketplace are not equal. Hmm. That it that it that uh, as I said before, that they're intrinsically exploitative, and this is a deep conviction uh, uh, on on the left. It makes it very hard for them to understand the the um, virtues of a commercial society. But you know, when you buy a newspaper from the from the vendor or buy an ice cream cone, there's no um, sneering superiority on either side. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a great point. Yeah, it's voluntary. Yeah, and I think that's the key to all of this. That the, there's a difference between voluntary transactions and the ones that are based on force and those who who support the rise of the government intervention into ordinary lives and and dictating what our choices can be that every law and regulation is backed upon backed up by the force of government it's like having guns pointed like we talked about you know not outside the border but inside the border that's right and uh, the the um I'm urging us to not call what we do private or or public. Mm-hmm. That makes 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 the public sound nice and makes the private sound exclusive right. and unpleasantly so. I think we should call it voluntary and involuntary. Yes. Uh, voluntary transactions are what we do when we buy an ice cream cone or or go to work, for that matter, for pay. Mm -hmm. Involuntary is everything else when we're coerced. And the great idea in the modern world is not nationalism or socialism, but what's properly called what's properly called what's properly called liberalism Mm-hmm. Not in the modern American sense, which uh, is just a, another word for slow socialism, but in the sense of a society in which everyone is free, in mm-hmm. which no one is a slave to the um, coercive practices of someone else. No men superior to their wives, no masters superior to their slaves and no IRS superior to all of us. So voluntary versus involuntary, that's what we should be focusing on. And I think that's a, that's an excellent point about language. And you actually talk and write a lot about 
the idea that economics is rhetoric. Yeah, yeah, and in in a in a profound sense, Adams had, Adam Smith was an early advocate of this view. Uh, his first job was essentially uh, 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 teaching teaching composition to 14-year-old Scottish boys. And he believed all his life that economic transactions that we regard as being about I give you cash and you give me an ice cream cone are in fact matters of persuasion. I'm offering you the money to persuade you sweetly without compulsion to hand over the ice cream cone. It's not violent coercion. It's, as I call it, sweet talk. Yeah, and indeed, right. if, you, if, if, you, if you think about it, a, a modern economy, unlike the economy of, of, uh, of coercion and real inequality before the 18th century, a, a tremendous share of what we do is persuading, is sweet talk, not just uh-huh. in advertising, which is the thing that first springs to people's minds, but in, in, in management. Uh, a modern manager, a modern supervisor can't compel obedience by the, by, by the people she's ma- ma- managing. She, the, these are free uh, people, they're not slaves. So they can they can they can move away. They can say no, I'm not going to do that, and go to some other job. Um, and and so that kind of uh, 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 freedom means that management uh, is a matter of sweet talk, of of per, of, pers- of persuasion. I've I've calculated that one quarter of labor income in the United States is earned by sweet talk. The, the the police, for example, if you ask them how much they use violence, coercion, they say, well, no, that's not terribly important. What is important in my job, they'll say, is uh, is is persuasion, sweet talk, and that's true of uh, of teachers. It's true of doctors and nurses. A, a tremendous amount is this um, changing people's minds as we express it by speaking to them sweetly. Yeah, definitely about persuasion. I think uh, I used to be in banking, and so part of my uh, job was sales. Sure. And I, I read a lot uh, from this author. His name's Grant Cardone. He's a like a sales trainer type of guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a he's got a book called Sell or Be Sold, and so the yeah. idea is that everybody is selling um, much more than they actually think about. And like you talk yeah. about this, and that a lot of people make their livelihood on being able to persuade people. Yeah, um, and, it, and and it's not cheating them. It's, right. It, when I if I um, t- if I show you the proof of the Pythagorean theorem. If I do it voluntarily and you enter into this conversation about the Pythagorean theorem voluntarily, apparently both of us are made better off. Mm -hmm. I'm better off because I show how smart I am, say, 
and you're better off because now you know the Pythagorean theorem before you didn't. And and if we become convinced that Coke is the real thing, that's an improvement on both our parts. And indeed, the massive expenditure on on advertising that people often find so offensive is in fact a bond of quality between you and the Coca-Cola um, company. Mm-hmm. If, if a mouse is found in a can of Coke, once <laughs> all that advertising, all that uh, establishing that Coke is the real thing becomes instantly valueless. So um, uh, advertising sales are not an evil. Mm-hmm. They're, and it's, it's, and it's not just to keep the economy going. That's that's a, a false, um, uh, a false way of looking at it. It's that we're introduced to mutually advantageous deals that we didn't know about before. Yeah, that's, and I think a lot of folks, when they think of advertising, they think of it as something new. Uh, but I no, had no. Uh, author uh, Howard Bloom on, and he had a, a book about reinventing capitalism. And he had a chapter on how humans have been advertising with the use of makeup for like 200,000 years. <laughs> and true. birds do it. Bees advertise. They'll use persuasion in different ways, like through dance. Or through, yeah, through plumage. And that uh, humans are part of the natural world. And that is a natural expression about true. how to advance your genetic material as well as to better your life. Yes, yes, and and indeed, the bower birds, for example, the the males create unique bird by bird museums. <laughs> so to speak. Really? No, this is an astonishing fact for the to entice the 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 females to make a commitment to 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 them and they'll they'll gather items <laughs> you know pieces of string or interesting leaves or something and they'll put them in this bower this 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 nest that they've made i'm talking about the males mm-hmm. so it, it's it's profoundly it's profoundly sweet talk um ma- mammals in general are loving that's how they succeed genetically. Um, uh, you have to raise the young mammals to maturity, and that, of course, comes into our our uh, our, our our nature as humans. Humans, in fact, are unusually cooperative by comparison mm. with the other the other great apes. And so this this enticing, this showing people things they didn't know before, opportunities for trade that they hadn't heard of before, that that's a, an absolutely crucial part of of any economy, and and has been because of this change in attitude towards the middle class, towards the bourgeoisie. It's been in the the scope for it has been enormously increased in the modern world. That is the the um, scope for finding new opportunities for trade for all all kinds of things, such as 
containerization, uh, which was invented in 1956 by a man in North Carolina, or, or any of the thousands and thousands of mechanical and organizational innovations that have been made since 1800. Those are all opportunities that someone had to persuade a banker, such as you once were, right. uh, or, or, or a customer, Mm-hmm. Or them themselves, or workers, or suppliers, to buy into, as we express it. Yeah, definitely, and I think too with the idea that um, that that humans naturally cooperate is something that I think is truly amazing, and yeah. that people take that for granted. And you were talking about innovation, and I think that. A lot of people who don't even think about economics, but they also like beer can relate to that because I don't drink myself, but I know people who do, that this is the best time in the history of the world to be a beer connoisseur because of the craft beer market. Yeah, as, as, an, as an excellent example of improvement, when I was a kid, uh, the beers available were these mass-produced things. Um, and they, and in the in the opinion of connoisseurs, they weren't very good. And now, as you say, we've had this uh, explosion of of, uh, of craft beers, and there are thousands and thousands of examples of this. When I was uh, when I was young, car, uh, car tires would wear out in about four thousand miles. Huh. So we all learned to replace. Uh, um, tires. They were always blowing out or wearing out on the road. Uh, and that's changed entirely. Now, if you if your tire doesn't last, I don't know, 40,000 miles, you, you think you've been uh, uh, cheated. And for the car itself, you know, it was common in the 1950s to have to replace the engine after some few thousands of miles, replace the whole engine. Oh, wow. Now you feel uh, that you've been cheated if your engine doesn't last for 100,000 miles. Okay. And, and so it goes. I mean, there have been fantastic improvements in, 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 in medicine and, of course, mm-hmm. over the long term, startling improvements in, in medicine, which have and in nutrition mm-hmm. and in uh, sewerage that have, since 1800, enormously increased the span of life. And yes. that applies, by the way, even to very poor countries. Mm. In Bangladesh, the expectation of life at birth is now approaching that of the United States. Wow. How about that? I, I was not aware of that, and I think that's well, a great point that that well, innovation, and, you know, travels. Yeah. Well, it certainly does, and in fact, in the case of Bangladesh, as a result, the um, they're having many few children per family. Mm-hmm. Once you had to have six children birth born in order to expect to have two who survived. Mm-hmm. Now they all survive. Now all the children survive because of 
modern uh, um, treatments for and, and inoculation for childhood diseases and improvements in the quality of, of the water supply. And, and, and so birth rates in Bangladesh have fallen and fallen and fallen. Now they're only slightly above replacement. Mm. That's in one of the poorest countries in the world. Wow. That's, that's, you know, that's very encouraging. A lot of times I think the news is meant to uh, depress us, so we want to buy stuff, you know. And yeah, we talk yeah. about the good of advertising, but at the same time, you know, I think people can manipulate that. And I think it's good to tell people about the positive aspects of the world. I think there, it, it comes down to philosophy. I mean, you, you've really brought philosophy back into economics, I think, where it originally yeah. started, because Adam Smith yeah. was really a polymath that it's I had really no was. I had no idea that the, the breadth of his work is oh, astounding, yeah. and I think you're following in that tradition. Well, thank you. Um, the the, the uh, someone that everyone should see see his videos and read his books is a man named Hans Rosling, R O S L I N G. Um, who, alas, um, passed on last year. Mm. But he's he, like me, is optimistic about the uh, future. And like me, he's he's emphasizing how much things have improved. And he does these wonderful performances explaining things like the shocking fall in the birth rate in and even in very poor um, countries. So I, I, I think there's grounds for tremendous optimism, mm -hmm. as we were saying before, and the, the pessimism is dangerous mm -hmm. because it leads us to bad policies, mm -hmm. to attempts to violently redistribute income, or from the conservative side to violently uh, um, police the poor. Yeah, that's, that, that instinct is, seems like it might even be somewhere deep in our nature and expressed in different ways on the left and right. I'm yeah. not sure. I haven't really delved into the psychology of that, but there definitely could be something there fundamental that, that maybe we have well, to work through as a species. Well, I don't we're know. mixed. We're mixed. Mm -hmm. we, we're cooperators. Mm -hmm. We're competitors. Both of those are all right if they're expressed in the economy. Mm -hmm. But we're also inclined, and there's no doubt about it, to violence of various sorts. So, you know, there's sweet talk and sweet cooperation, and even sweet and courageous competing with each other in sport, mm -hmm. say, or in or in in uh, in in the economy. But there's also this tendency to uh, coercion. Mm -hmm. Because coercion is easier than sweet talk or mm -hmm. honest competition in the market. It's easier. You just go go get yourself a gun and hold up someone. Right. Uh, uh, it's, it's simpler. Uh, if you want to change someone's behavior, um, a thirty eight is a very fast way of changing their behavior. Yep, and that the the idea of coercion in the marketplace, I think, is actually growing in popularity. There's a lot of talk of 
the Green New Deal out there yeah. and about uh, fast socialism, using your terminology. I like that. Yeah. I love the term slow socialism. I've not heard that before, but yeah. it seems like they're trying to crank that up. Do you yeah, think that? Do you think that has to do with the lack of economic um, understanding of the average American, or is it just the class of rent seekers out there has just grown so large that well, this is the natural both. outcome? I think it's both, and certainly the the, um, the the it's not so much the class of rent seekers, although I understand mm -hmm. what you're saying, mm -hmm. but it's the class of what I call the clerisy. The intellectuals, the, the artists, the uh, movie makers, the journalists, and the, and the people in politics who gain from um, making us angry at each other. Mm. And, and, and that's bad for us, um, <laughs> for sure, because it, it makes cooperation uh, harder. There, there, there's a... There's very deep egalitarianism in humans mm -hmm. that comes from our long time, our long experience, hundreds of thousands of years as hunter-gatherers. Small hunter-gatherer bands are egalitarian. Mm -hmm. One must not think of the chief. That's that's a, that's uh, that's a, a a later and larger so social arrangement. It's mm -hmm. not the chief who's the boss. Everyone's the boss. It's too easy to kill arrogant usurpers in a small band of f 15 people. If someone gets out of line, they're put back in line very fast. So there's, there's a, so to speak, biological um, substrat of egalitarianism to which is added in the modern world the truth that we all grow up in families. Mm -hmm. And in a family, a family is a naturally socialist enterprise. Mm -hmm. Mom is the central planner. Income <laughs> mysteriously comes from mom and dad, and especially dad going to the office. What's that all about? Mm -hmm. And in, especially in a modern economy, highly specialized, where we're dealing with people on the other side of the world without being uh, aware of it, you don't see where income comes from. Mm -hmm. If you're on a farm in 1800, you know where meat comes from. That's <laughs> so right. Speak. You yeah. know where your food comes from. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, you know, meat, well, meat comes from the grocery store in a in a in a nice uh, plastic uh, wrapping, and so we can't see clearly the specialized production side of the economy, and so we think of income, and here's where it comes down to the, the where 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 the rubber meets the road. We we think then of income as falling like manna from heaven, and then it's natural to divide it up equally. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, if if you're with friends and dividing up a pizza, which you've paid for, and you say, well, I paid for the pizza, I'm going to get 90% of it. That's a friendship-destroying move, obviously. Yes. Right. With, among friends, we're, we're all things are equal. That's fine. But that's in a small group. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work in what Hayek and, and uh, called the Great Society, the mm -hmm. big 
group. There we have to depend on this um, specialization and the the intrusion of egalitarianism from our genes or from our upbringing in families can spoil it and has over and over again. And as you said, in North Korea and in Venezuela and so forth. Yeah, definitely. And and you talked about the um, like the the movie producers in academia and and those folks who really support the expansion of the state because um, they benefit from these massive corporations that that, uh, can benefit from um, government laws, that those people, um, they benefit from the the current establishment. Yeah, but I I don't want to say that it's simply because of their interest. Okay, gotcha. That 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 people feel this way. I think, I, I mean, I was once a socialist myself when I was a oh. teenager. Sure, and I have lots of friends who are are, are socialists. Lots of friends mm-hmm. who are conservatives too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not either. I'm not either a conservative <laughs> or or a socialist. I'm I, I, I'm a liberal, in the old sense. Classic but, liberal. Uh, yes, but I don't think that people. Um, sort of vote their interest all the time. If that were mm-hmm. true, um, politics would have a very different shape. Now, I, I think people sincerely believe that it's easy to run the economy. This would be characteristic of, of the left. And that um, that it's therefore it's easy to make it equal in outcome and that there'll be no problem because income does, they think, fall like manna from heaven, and therefore, like the like the pizza being divided, it should be divided equally. Whereas, if we try to do that in a complicated modern economy and pay the brain surgeon the same as the cab driver, we're not going to get enough brain surgeons because it's easier to be a cab driver than a brain surgeon. If if we if we're if we, if we indulge this egalitarianism, which which by the way is unachievable anyway. Look, mm-hmm. you're smarter than I am. Um, I'm uh, 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 I have some ability that you haven't got. We're all unequal, right. and if we're if we're going to benefit from other people's unequal endowments, as Saint Paul said. We should let them do what they're good at and let us do what we're good at and trade. That's, right. that's, that's to take advantage of inequality instead of railing against it and um, making the economy work extremely poorly as it does in supposedly egalitarian places like, uh, as we said, North Korea. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you, the, you had a great point about people thinking income falls from the sky like manna. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, that humans, I've been reading a lot of um, Carl Jung lately, and that I think personally that humans are built naturally to have religious instincts. And that I think it was right. Nietzsche that talked about if you destroyed or take away somebody's God, you have to replace it with something else. Yes, indeed. In fact, I've argued uh, in the first of these three books in my trilogy that humans need a transcendent. Mm -hmm. 
They need something beyond uh, uh, their own selfish, or you can call it that, their own individual development, or, or indeed the, um, the, the, the economic uh, and social development of the society. They need something greater. They need something higher, and it can be God, which would be my own choice as a, as an Episcopalian, but it can also be the Cubs, <laughs> or or science, right? Or or art, or the family. We just do need this third thing, this trans, uh-huh. this tr- transcendence. And as you say, that's not always good news. Um, right. If you're if you're tr- if you're transcendent is to c- kill the Jews, uh, that makes you feel good, but it's not it's 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 an evil. So so we need to understand this need for transcendence, and um, to the extent we can, with persuasion, mm-hmm. persuade people to. Um, And I think and I think that that boils down to the idea that you talk about the transcendent, about having a goal outside of yourself. Exactly. That that is because we're so limited. I think Hyatt talked about the knowledge problem that yeah. that nobody can know everything. And, and, exactly. And in your book, the or your essay on the two secret sins of economics that yeah. you talked about, that sometimes that there's certain economists. Um, who like the idea of the arrogance of social planning that they, they think that they think that they can create algorithms to simulate an entire economy when that's, that's been right. tried and, and that's failed. Well, for for the last hundred years, economics has defined itself increasingly as what you might call a policy science. Hmm. That I'm from economics and I'm going to help you is there is 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 what they say. And I'm growing increasingly suspicious of this nudging or planning or uh, improving people from the outside against their will. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And and I I would much prefer a society in which the economists were philosophers and Mm -hmm. would um, uh, try to persuade people that uh, free trade is a good idea and that um, we should be free people in an economy, but not be social engineers as they think of themselves now. And if if they were competent as social engineers, I would be more um, more, uh, more more amenable mm-hmm. to the idea. But 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 the trouble is that their tools are inadequate to the task. And there are two things they do wrong. And this is at a very high academic level, Mm -hmm. but it's fundamental to how modern economics operates. They use a technique factually, empirically, called tests of statistical significance, Mm -hmm. which, which is a terrible mistake. The American Statistical Association in 2015, issued a report saying that it was a terrible mistake. And uh, some um, statisticians 
have been saying it's a terrible mistake for 100 years, but people haven't paid attention and they carry on with this error. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, the in a more uh, in, in a way it's a similar error. The economists believe that abstract models of imperfections in the economy show that there are imperfections in the economy. So my friend um, Joe Joe Stiglitz at Princeton, a, a Nobel Prize winner, says, "Aha! Some people don't know as much as others, and therefore the economy is imperfect." Mm-hmm. And that's a spectacular non uh, non sequitur. We need to find that the economy is um, imperfect, not assume it is. So those are the two errors, the statistical error and the theoretical error. And and that affects people in their daily lives because I've been reading a lot about – I've also been chronically ill for 30 years. Um, I had surgery when I was young. I've been in and out of hospital about 50 times. Okay, I've gone to the doctors hundreds of times, you know, so I've seen like the medical side of, of this discussion about economics and central planning – and that one thing that I've really dug into lately, and we're going to have a couple people come on to talk about, is uh, the FDI, FDA clinical trials. Oh, and those are, those are all based on statistical significance. Yeah, absolutely. They, so they're making the same mistake, the, 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 the doctors are making the same mistake that the, the economists are. And it, it matters more. It matters for your treatment and mine. Mm-hmm. that um, uh, the Food and Drug Administration has this absurd criterion of efficacy, um, uh, which, by the way, was not in the original uh, law um, establishing the Food and Drug Administration, and and prevents treatments that work in Germany from being used freely in the States and to some degree vice versa, because mm-hmm. there's a version of the FDA in, in in Europe as well. Yep, and definitely, and that affects people on um, you know in their lives. And you talked about you gave an example of mammograms in one of your essays about yeah, yeah. about the statistical significance. About hey, wait a minute, that matters. You know, it might only matter to one person, but that one person really, really yeah. matters. That's right, and and the. In making the cost-benefit calculation, which I don't object to, I'm an economist. Right. Um, uh, if 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 mammograms were fantastically expensive, then you might say, well, we don't need to have people have mammograms when they're 30 mm-hmm. or even 40. Let's wait until they're 50 years old. But but actually, they aren't fantastically expensive, and in any case. <laughs> The relevant cost is not just the financial cost, but the cost of, as you said, the rare person, the rare woman who gets breast cancer at age 30. Mm-hmm. Um, it, her, it, 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 it's, it's her life that's at stake. So it's, it's crazy to turn this over to one half of the numbers. That's what happens. Right. Her, her, the value of her life is not 
considered in this calculation. Mm-hmm. All that's considered is the probability of a what's called a, a type 1 error, which is an extremely partial and indeed, in most cases, beside the point um, me, me, um, way of, of, uh, 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 of deciding these uh, trials, these drug trials. Mm-hmm. So I, I or um, procedure trials. So I, I am. I would like the FDA to be closed tomorrow, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> yes, uh, and you talk about the original impact of the F- or the original intent of the FDA. And I had uh, Dr. Mary Ruart on. She was in the pharmaceutical industry, and she came on to talk about how in 1962 the FDA's mandate changed. Yes. To not only um, to look at safety, which was pri- no. that's why they were created yes. to efficacy, and that really caused so many that, problems. That caused tremendous problems. It's um, the 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 FDA was originally founded to to prevent people from being poisoned, um, and not by intent, of course, but by by, mm-hmm. by accident or uh, in in in, in um, adding bad things to bread or something, and as you say, and as she said, it changed. And now, as what's what, what's odd about the change is that if a drug has been approved for any purpose by the FDA, individual doctors can try it out for other things. That's, <laughs> that's a great how, point. That's how Rogaine was invented. Huh. Rogaine was once a treatment for heart disease, and the doctors treating men for heart disease noticed that their hair grew. <laughs> and so, since these were middle-aged, largely white men who were being benefited by treating their male pattern baldness, it's now become a non-prescription drug. Wow. And and I think that that comes to the point of allowing experimentation, because I'm an outlier, so I don't show up in any of the statistics um, about efficacy on certain things, and so I've always been attracted to to the idea that individuals um, should be free to experiment with themselves. Of course. And we've talked about... I'm sorry. That's right. At their own behest. In fact, the, the the noblest kind of doctor experimentation is indeed experimentation on oneself. Mm-hmm. The cure for yellow fever, or not the cure exactly, but the 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 discovery, the proof that yellow fever was caused by was transmitted by mosquitoes, which which this discovery made the Panama Canal possible because workers in the Panama Canal were dying in enormous numbers, and it had to be discovered how to stop this, uh, was that discovery was made by doctors putting their arms into boxes with mosquitoes and getting yellow fever. Wow. 
That's that, incredible. There's, there's a great honor. That, that's honorable. Yes. Whereas, for for a medical researcher to get a bunch of, I don't know, prisoners from the jail mm-hmm. to experiment on, which was actually surprisingly common in earlier times and much less so now, thank God, is unethical. Mm-hmm. It should be you as the patient or you as the brave doctor choosing your own treatment. It shouldn't be someone else's unethical unethical decision. And I think that boils down to having skin in the game. Uh, a yeah, lot of, absolutely. A lot having of skin these, in the game. And yep. these, 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 these uh, doctors exposing themselves to mosquitoes um, literally had skin in the game. <laughs> That's right. And it's and that's how chemists. I was reading about drugs, how they got developed early on, and a lot of chemists would try the drugs on themselves. And that see. made sense to me. That's 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 honorable. And and I think it, it boils down to the idea, and we talked about it a little bit about the media portrayal of the the, the bourgeois virtues out there. That there's not a really well-rounded picture of what it's like. To, um, to have commercial courage or the risks right. involved of, of having to treat people as equals without force. And, yep. and I, I think that was a great point in one of your works that you talked about how it's so rare, especially now and even back then when these were first concepts were starting to really be popularized, to have mm-hmm. um, works that actually celebrate and encourage self-experimentation exactly or encourage um, people running businesses. That's right. Now, now I, I, I think it's the case that in a society like ours in the United States, most people do admire c- commercial courage. I mean, we can, can, can consider how Steve Jobs was uh, um, praised. That's a great um, point. And that's true enough. But mm-hmm. the intellectuals, the clerisy, as I call them, clerisy. they're hostile to this. Mm-hmm. And so you get movies like Wall Street, both number one and number two, that don't celebrate what makes us rich. Whereas uh, Joy, a movie about six years ago, about Joy Mangano, the inventor of the self-squeezing mop, oh. or... The Founder, which was about Ray Kroc making McDonald's into what it is now. Mm-hmm. Those movies celebrate enterprise, mm-hmm. and the, those are healthy for our, our society. Now, I, I don't want to worship Steve Jobs, <laughs> right? But, but I want us to, to admire what he's done for us. Uh-huh. Uh, he made a lot of money. So did uh, uh, um, Walton for mm-hmm. in, in Walmart. Um, but okay, he made a lot of money, but he made us much better off. And that's a, that's a great point too. And I think that uh, turns back to your bourgeois virtues, and that I think uh, one of those is gratitude. I think that's um, indeed. Some, it's something that that's forgotten about, especially with the discourse that we're having in politics a lot of times 
or, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not in academia, but it sounds like, you know, I don't think a lot of uh, courses on gratitude are being taught. Well, that's true. That, but, but there are lots of courses on envy. Yes. And, and they're not, and they're urging people to have envy. Mm-hmm. Envy is a sin. Yes. Um, uh, it, it, and, and, and it's, one of the reasons it's a sin is that it's insatiable. Mm-hmm. If I envy you for your intelligence or your income and you envy me for, I don't know, something else, we can go on envying each other forever and get, it gets worse and worse and worse. Whereas we can, if we, um, uh, if, if we don't envy Steve Jobs but celebrate what Steve Jobs has done for us, uh, that, that's a much healthier uh, um, uh, uh, um, attitude, and it results in us all prospering. Again, as St. Paul said, I want to emphasize this. He, he said, we all have gifts, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of interpretation, and we should let us all exchange our gifts instead of envying them. That is that that's a very powerful statement and I think that's a great place to 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 wrap up our conversation. I can't believe it's already been an hour. Um I've I've really enjoyed uh talking with you today, Professor McCluskey. Where can uh our audience find more of your work and what would you like to um promote that uh really epitomize what you're trying to spread to the wider um the wider well, world? The best place to go is my website, which I didn't design. I take no no credit for it. It's called DeirdreMcCluskey.org, okay. and you have to spell my first name right. Okay. It's against I before E except after C. It's think of the word weird. <laughs> okay. It's, it's it's D E R. Sorry, sorry. I've got to spell it right. D E I R D R E. Deirdre McCluskey, M C C L O S K E Y, and you go there if you, uh, and it has, it has lots of short uh, um, pieces. It has other interviews I've given, um, and then you can graduate to buying my books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Please do. Yeah, is that the best way to support your work for people who want to learn more and to support what you're doing? Is it buying your books? Is that the best way for them to do that? Well, it's one way. I won't okay. send back. I won't send back the check if they send me money. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I got you. That's great because I think um, your work, especially the bourgeois virtues, I think that goes into the canon of like the ethics and economics of of individualism. That goes along with like the law uh, by Frederick Bastier, I pencil by Leonard Reed and uh, and all of those uh, great works. I think it it really adds to the conversation and brings it back to the individual, which we like to focus on on the podcast about individuals are only only individuals act and only individuals can make the world a better place. That's certainly true. Well, great. Well, thank you for your work today and your uh, your time today. I really appreciate that. And uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us today, and we will see you next time.